The following is a message by Dr. John Fesco from Westminster Seminary, California. For more information about this message or Westminster Seminary, visit us online at westcal.edu or call us at 760-480-8474. That's online at wscal.edu or call us at 760-480-8474. Bow together in a brief word of prayer. Father, we're grateful that you have gathered us here this morning where we might reflect upon your word. We pray that you would speak to us uh, through uh, the reading of your word, through the preaching of it, that you would uh, transform us and sanctify us, that you would conform us further to the image of your Son, all to the glory and praise of your name. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. If you would, let's open our Bibles to Galatians chapter 5. <clears throat> Galatians chapter 5, where we're continuing in this uh, faculty series uh, through Paul's epistle to the Galatian churches. And this morning, I've been uh, given the task of uh, covering verses 22 through 26 of chapter 5. So Galatians chapter 5, and I'll begin reading in verse 22. So let's give attention to the reading of God's word. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. May God add his blessing to this reading from his holy and inspired word. I think that when people look at uh, the teaching of Christ, especially in terms of uh, the parables, I think they come to them and think that Jesus is speaking in a new idiom. He's speaking in a way perhaps unlike that of any other prophet before. But when we take a deeper look into the Old Testament scriptures, we find that the parable is perhaps one of the more familiar prophetic idioms. And back in the Old Testament, in Israel's day, uh, long, long, long ago, long before uh, Christ ever walked the dusty roads of Palestine, the prophet Isaiah gave a parable to Israel. And in that parable, in the fifth chapter of Isaiah, Isaiah began to speak to the Israelites and began to tell them of a vineyard that a vineyard grower had decided to plant. He cleared all of the necessary ground. He plowed it. He tilled it so that uh, the land would be prepared and would be fertile. He also cleared it of any stones and of any rocks. He planted it with the choicest, with the very best of vine grapes, and not only did he plant the choicest of vine grapes, but he also even built a watchtower in the midst of it. He placed a wine vat there to prepare so that he would be able to uh, harvest the grapes and produce the wine. But when the harvesters went out and when the vineyard owner looked out upon his vineyard, he didn't find the fruit that he was looking for, but instead he found wild grapes. He found uh, fruit that he did not plant. And so the vineyard owner looked at his vineyard with great displeasure, and he said that he would remove the hedge, that he would destroy the tower, that he would remove all of the wild grapes, 
and the wild fruit that he did not plant because he did not find what he was looking for. Well, at the conclusion of that parable, the prophet Isaiah, and perhaps again in that familiar prophetic mode, identifies Israel as that unfruitful vineyard. And he says, I will make it a waste. Isaiah chapter 5, verse 6, I will make it a waste. It shall not be pruned or hoed, and briars and thorns shall grow up. I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. For he looked for justice, and behold, bloodshed, for righteousness, but behold, an outcry. See, the Lord planted his vineyard, and he expected it to yield fruit, the fruit of righteousness, the fruit of holiness, the fruit of faithfulness, the fruit of love. But instead, there was bloodshed. There was violence. There was unrighteousness. Everything that the Lord was not looking for. And so as you contemplate this parable and you begin to think it sounds as if God will visit judgment upon his people, and indeed he did, we begin to ask the question, well, did God simply leave Israel without hope? Did he leave them unfruitful? Did he simply raise the vineyard, destroy the tower, pull up the grapes? Or did he give them hope? Well, as we all know, he did give them hope. You see, there was the shoot from the stump of Jesse. That promise that the Davidic heir would come And not only would he come, but he would sprout forth from what ostensibly would be a stump. It looked as if there was nothing that could grow. Perhaps you've seen this before, where you cut down a tree, and after you cut down the tree, maybe a season later or two, you begin to see a little branch growing out. It's as if the tree said, try to kill me, and you can't because here I'm going to grow yet again. But the big difference here is that unlike that tiny shoot, which takes so long to grow at times, and perhaps maybe even has to fight the elements, and perhaps has a long road to go, out of the stump of Jesse, there would come this shoot. In Isaiah chapter 27, verse 6, Isaiah says, In the days to come, Jacob will take root, Israel shall blossom and put forth shoots and fill the whole world with fruit. The whole world with fruit. Again, in the 11th chapter of Isaiah, we read, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. And with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. Here, this shoot goes forth, 
produces fruit, filling the entire earth with fruit. As he is anointed with the Spirit, and note now one of the fruits of the Spirit, faithfulness girds his waist. Faithfulness girds his waist. But you see, it was not just simply this shoot that would be girded with faithfulness and would himself bear fruit, the fruit of righteousness that the Lord had longed to see from his people Israel. Not only, not only would this shoot go forth, not only would he fill the earth with fruit, but he would also ensure that his people would also bear the fruit that the Lord wanted to see. In the 32nd chapter of Isaiah, beginning in verse 14, for the palace is forsaken, the populous city deserted, the hill and the watchtower will become dens forever, a joy of wild donkeys, a pasture of flocks, until when? Until the Spirit is poured upon us from on high, and the wilderness becomes a fruitful field, and the fruitful field is deemed a forest. Then justice will dwell in the wilderness, and righteousness abide in the fruitful field, and the effect of righteousness will be peace, and the result of righteousness, quietness, and trust forever. Here, we hear from the prophet Isaiah that indeed the Spirit would be poured out, and righteousness would be spread out throughout the earth, and that the effect of righteousness would be peace. Yet another fruit of the Spirit. And in fact, you find this, I don't know what else to call it other than this agrarian imagery, this farming-like imagery uh, throughout the prophet Isaiah. But here Isaiah says in the 45th chapter, verse 8, Shower, O heavens, from above, and let the clouds rain down righteousness. Let the earth open that salvation and righteousness may bear fruit. In many ways, I think we can say that the prophet Isaiah is the Old Testament counterpart to the Apostle Paul. I think so often we read the Apostle Paul and we think that whatever it is that he is uh, discussing, whatever it is that he is writing, is something absolutely brilliant and insightful and unique to himself. I know that this sounds somewhat disrespectful, perhaps even blasphemous. I hope it is not received as such. That would be a bad thing to do in chapel and not one of the fruits of the Spirit. But... Sometimes I think that we give Paul too much credit. We think he's a brilliant theologian. I don't want to take anything away from Paul. But I think what Paul is simply doing is he's mining the treasures of the Old Testament. And if we want to say that Paul is brilliant, then we should also say that Isaiah is brilliant, that the prophets are brilliant, and that all Paul is doing, we can say all he's doing, is he's pulling out these treasures of old. And he is renewing them in a sense by bringing them to the attention of God's people to say what God promised long ago through the prophets has now come to pass through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he is fulfilling it now here in your midst. It's brilliant. But Isaiah is brilliant too. In the 51st chapter of Isaiah, verse 3, he says, The Lord comforts Zion. He comforts all her waste places and makes her wilderness like Eden. 
her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy, another fruit of the Spirit, and gladness will be found in her. Thanksgiving and the voice of song. So do you see the overall picture, at least thus far, that here Israel is unfruitful. God decides to take away that fruitless uh, vineyard and he decides to let that shoot come forth from the stump of Jesse, that shoot that fills the entire earth with fruit. And the, the shoot has faithfulness wrapped around his waist. He spreads righteousness throughout the creation that brings peace. And God renews not only his people, but he renews the earth so that it is once again like the Garden of Eden, bringing forth peace and joy. What an antithesis that message is to the way that the Apostle Paul characterizes the present evil age. What is it that marks the epic of Adam's reign, or at least of Adam's fallen reign, in Galatians 5, 19 and following? Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalry, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. That's the conduct that characterizes the fallen reign of Adam. But what is it that characterizes that inbreaking kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ? What is it that has resulted because of Christ's life, death, and resurrection? In the third chapter of Galatians, verses 13 and 14, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. That spirit promised long ago in Isaiah that would produce all of this fruit, that would bring forth righteousness, that would bring forth peace, that would give joy to God's people, that is what Christ has given us through his life, death, and resurrection. This is why Peter at, the, uh, at Pentecost said that what you're seeing and hearing now, uh, it's not that these men are drunk, it's the ninth hour. This is what was prophesied by Joel, the outpouring of the Spirit. What you now see and hear is what has been given to Christ. He's received the Spirit, and he's poured this out upon you now. This is why Paul in 1 Corinthians 15.45 says that Christ is that life-giving Spirit. Because through Christ we receive the outpouring of the Spirit, and it is through the outpouring of the Spirit that we receive the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and which is why Paul can say against such things there is no law. There is no law. But there are two things that I want us to note before we conclude. Is that first of all, when Paul does talk about the fruit of the Spirit, I don't think that he's saying you must be loving. You must be peaceful, you must be patient, you must be kind, you must be good, you must be faithful. In other words, he's not giving you a series of commands. I think if that were the case, we could say that sola bootstrapa, uh, you know, is really prominently expressed in the scriptures. In other words, you simply just have to grab your moral bootstraps and pull as hard as you can so that you can try to be patient. 
I know that if I just grip my teeth hard enough, either this problem will go away or the silly twit in front of me, notice I'm pointing down the middle of the aisle, uh, this person in front of me will go away and this problem will disappear. Maybe I'll need more dental work after it's all done, but I will have accomplished the patience that I need. If anything should be clear to us, beloved, it's that these promises are far older than any of our problems, whether external to us or within us in terms of our own struggles with our sanctification. And what we must remember is that it is the fruit of the Spirit. It is God who has poured out His Spirit through His Son. And it is through His Son's life, death, and resurrection that we receive these blessings of redemption. Which is why if you struggle with faithfulness, or if you struggle with peace, if you lack joy, uh, if you have no patience, if it is difficult for you to show kindness to others, you must flee to Christ. Remember what Paul writes earlier in his epistle in the second chapter, verse 20, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So the two observations are this, God's promises are far older than we are. And secondly, that he is faithful to complete the work that he has begun in you, which means that if you want to exhibit these fruits of the Spirit, seek Christ. Seek Christ through the means of grace. Cry out to Christ in prayer that he would grant to you a greater dispensation of this holy fruit. And recognize that in the end, what God is doing is he is fulfilling all of his promises that he made so long ago through the prophet Isaiah and even beyond. And some of the most reassuring words to all of us, I hope, would be that in Christ all of God's promises are yea and amen. So beloved, when you desire that patience, pray that God would give you that patience through Christ and through his spirit. And if you're anything like me, You'll know that when you pray for patience, you want it now. You want it right away, knowing that sometimes that's probably not the way it's going to work. But in the end, that Christ is faithful to conform you to his image and to manifest the fruit of his spirit in your life to the glory of our triune God. Let's bow together in a word of prayer. Father, we give you thanks for your faithfulness throughout the ages. Well, Lord, it is difficult sometimes. It is difficult because we feel as if we are pressed, as if we are at times crushed by the circumstances of life. Well, Lord, we feel as if we have no more patience, no more love within us. And at times we feel as if we are at the end of our ropes. But, O oh Lord, we know that you are a sovereign God and that your providence ordains whatsoever comes to pass, even the difficulties and the challenges that we face in life. We pray, O oh Lord, that in such circumstances that you would give us a desire to manifest this holy fruit, that our desire above all else would be to be conformed to the image of your Son,
through a diligent use of the means of grace, that you would conform us to the image of your Son and that we would manifest this holy fruit, that you would give to us love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control, that we would not think that these things are within ourselves, but rather we would look extrospectively to Christ, knowing that he has blessed us in so many ways, but especially in these ways. And that in all of these things, in all of our conduct, we would manifest this fruit to the glory of the triune name. We pray and ask all of these things in Christ's name. Amen. Copyright 2012, Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and that you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this document on our website is preferred.